Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be reviewing our top 10 films of 2018. I'm very excited to talk about this. I've been looking forward to doing a top 10 of the year since we started this show. Andy, how about you? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it also. (laughs) A man of few words. Uh, We're also (laughs) going to talk about our least favorite film of the year. We've got a couple honorable mentions in here. Uh, We'll just take a few minutes to talk about each one. The structure of this episode will be a little different than normal. Uh, So what we're going to do is first we'll talk about news like we always do. We're going to briefly talk about Aquaman since Andy saw it. I did not, but I'll grill him on it and we'll get the goods. (laughs) We'll do our top 10. We'll alternate. We'll do uh, five of our films each. Then we'll talk about our Death of Cinema segment. We want to review, well, look at, I should say, not like a full form review, Bandersnatch, uh, the new Netflix interactive film, and talk about whether or not that works and and what it might mean for film, if anything. Then we'll get back into our top 10. We'll finish up. We'll go through honorable mentions, worst films of the year. This will be good. And and I'm not sure exactly how it's going to go, but I'm excited to jump right into it. So let's get started. Our first story, Peter Jackson's World War One documentary, They Shall Not Grow Old, breaks Fathom Events box office records with $2.3 million. Andy, you really wanted to see this movie. I really wanted to see this movie. What do you think? (laughs) I think this is great news, and it's it's great news for the film, but also for the Fathom Events format itself. Fathom Events usually does things like operas or stage plays or performances that aren't traditional cinema. And so this is a good example of how that format can work and can really give it to a wider audience, because now with the success of the Fathom Events, now it's going to get a wide release. I, I, I guess I'm split on this. Uh, on the one hand, you're totally right. Like for Fathom Events, this is great. Fathom events are inherently really cool. They bring a lot of, of movies over that from foreign markets that I'm not able to see normally. A lot of retro screenings, a lot of, of live performances and operas and plays and that kind of thing. Like the idea of Fathom events I love and the fact that they're making money and doing well is fantastic. What frustrates me about this, to me, hear me out, is if your movie sets the new high watermark for Fathom events, what that indicates to me is it probably shouldn't be a Fathom event. You probably could have just released this movie and it would have been fine. And they're they they're going to do a wide release, so they're going to get around to that anyway. But man, I wanted to see this movie like really bad. I still <laughs> want to see it. We'll probably review it in January, but I couldn't find a screening anywhere. It was around for like yeah. two days at certain theaters, and that was it. And I, I was really bummed. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So walking into this movie in January, I'm a little frustrated, and that sucks. That's not the greatest way to see a movie. So uh, bittersweet, I guess. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I'm just glad that it's going to have a wider release and that we will be able to eventually see it because it was playing for two days and there were it was at like three theaters and it had showtimes in the middle of the day when you and I were both at work. So it just it wasn't really help helpful in trying to see the movie. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know what exactly that means for They Shall Not Grow Old, but I'm glad it's doing well and I'm excited to see it when it comes out. Our next story. And you're going to have to give the good people at home some explanation behind this one because this isn't exactly a traditional tale. A convicted deer poacher has been ordered to watch Bambi once a month during his stint in prison. Uh, fill people in here. Why are we talking about this? Okay, so this is a story that came out a couple of uh, weeks ago. Um, and what happened, this was in Missouri because, of course, but uh, there was the ringleader of a deer poaching 
uh, circle or crime syndicate uh, was was caught and tried and found guilty of, of deer poaching. And uh, he was sentenced to one month uh, incarceration. And part of his uh, in, uh, sentence means that he has to watch Bambi once a month uh, for 12 months. So he gets to watch this movie because he was the head of a, a deer poaching ring. First viewing being on or before December 23rd, which has already happened, but funny right before Christmas. Like, you got to watch Bambi, dude. I mean, funny story. Why are we talking about it on the show? What makes this like film news? <laughs> well, uh, several things. I mean, I just think it, it's, it's funny. It's interesting. But it kind of raises a larger question of like, you know, film being used as punishment and possibly uh, cor- not correction, reformation, rehabilitation as well and i'm not sure how comfortable i am with that like it's a funny story but i'm yeah it's an interesting situation yeah i I agree it it is a funny story but at the same time it it is an interesting experiment in using media as a form of reorientation of ideology and or like punishment or maybe reward i i I think of like at guantanamo then playing like miley cyrus on repeat uh, (laughs) right and, and, and people flipping out and again funny but in the case of like a Walt Disney film, like a cherished childhood film of the 60s, like there's definitely something to be said that this movie has not only withstood the test of time, but has been now being used as a form of punishment um, <laughs> to, to change somebody's ways. Neat. And, and a testament to the film. And ultimately, um, I don't know. Yeah, you were, I, I think you're right. There's, there's something to be said there. So just some food for thought, I guess, in our news yeah. segment. It's an, the and next like I said, story. It's uh, interesting. It's definitely interesting. Nothing short of interesting. Excuse my my uh, uh, leap to the next tale. Uh, our next story, uh, the trailer for Jordan Peele's new film is out. The film is called Us. It is a hell of a trailer. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I was really uh, surprised and shocked by it. I remember I was actually in Houston, and it saw it, I saw it on my phone, and I was like, oh, let me watch it when I get back to Dallas. So I didn't watch it for <laughs> several hours, and then I watched it, and I was really blown away. And, you know, it's creepy. I don't want to get into it uh, very much because it is, um, it, it's really cool if you haven't seen it. Uh, but, man, I, I feel like it's one of these iconic trailers, kind of like the way the Avengers trailer was or something like Inception that gets parodied and gets kind of redone because it's so good. Like, the trailer is an, is a piece of art in itself. Right. I, I think <laughs> there's a lot I like about the trailer. I like that you don't really know where it's going. He's done a great job of keeping uh, the film under wraps. I mean, we know the plot, but we don't really know. I don't know. We didn't know a lot about going about it going in and so you watch the trailer and start to realize this kind of creepy flip on things and as you watch it the the, the i got five on it flips over which is really something to be said about jordan peele that he could make that song into a horror theme but um man i it just looks so neat and and after get out it's so interesting to see what this movie is going to be what it's going to mean what the underlying themes of the film really are uh, what they say about racism I don't know. I, I I don't know. I I'm I'm real into it though. So yeah, same. I, I was totally stoked, and like you said, the the song I got five on it, which is funny because that that has been done before. You know, taking a popular song, slowing it down, making an orchestral version of it has been done. But this is the first time it's been done with like a classic hip hop song, and it just works so well. Um, but that was super cool, and definitely looking forward to that in March. Yeah, and you talk about the hype train. Like, I, I love that this the trailer sets up. It, it does exactly what a good trailer needs to do. It gives you just enough of a setup, and then it leaves you to wonder what happens. You know, it doesn't give away 
the whole plot. They didn't give away the focus. It, well, it kind of gives away the focus, but I don't know. It, it, it sets up enough, and then it leaves people in the comments wondering and coming up with fan theories. And what do you think is going to happen? What's it, what's it going to be about? Um, gets that buzz going. So well done, Jordan Peele. We appreciate the trailer. The last story we have, a Netflix turned down an offer to buy Holmes and Watson from Sony after bad test screenings. Holmes and Watson has come out. It is currently sitting at a robust 9% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie is a total bomb. What do you think about it, Andy? Uh, Well, we need to say that when it came out, which was Christmas Day, which Christmas Day is the biggest day in cinema uh, for the year. Yes. um, It it had a 0% score. They were actually withholding the scores. They weren't. You know, it, it it said no score yet because they were just holding them back, hoping people would at least maybe go see it. Um, yeah, it, and I've heard it's real bad. It's real bad, and what I hear is is it's them doing basically the, the jokes from Step Brothers in the 18th century, right? And also not being the director of Step Brothers, so like swinging a miss. Uh, it definitely doesn't right. have the vibe it needs to. We haven't seen it. Uh, I can't imagine we're gonna see it. Bummer, right? But <laughs> right, man. I'm I'm so frustrated with the way studios can play with public perception. Like really, and and withholding rotten scores is one thing, and withholding reviews is one thing. But like, man, for the ads, like they really made this look like it was going to be the next Step Brothers, and people go see it are just incredibly disappointed. Like at some point, you know it's false advertising. At some point, you know you're lying to people, and they do it anyway. And there's never any kind of like, you know reprimand for that it's just the way it is in, in the industry and that's right frustrating and ultimately i don't know if there's anything that will change about that i just you know bummer well that's what's interesting about netflix not buying it because netflix is tends to kind of buy bombs or things that are risky uh, most most notably this year they bought uh the paradox or the, sorry the cloverfield paradox and annihilation which we love but annihilation was very much a risky film and they the studio offset their risk by just selling it to Netflix. Oh, and at Netflix, you know, they've become known for not having the best films, but here, here's the difference. They may make a lot of bad or mediocre films, but they do not buy bad or mediocre films. They tend to, <laughs> you know, buy better things when they're flashing their cash. Right, like they buy things that may not be great, but they're good enough for the platform that it'll work. I mean, that was a great example of something like Bright that we saw uh, last yeah. year. Like... Not great, but good enough for me to sit down and watch it and go, yeah, it's free on Netflix, worth your time. Like, not bad. Um, Whereas this, I guess it's good to know that there is a bar of quality at Netflix that somebody does have their hand on the steering wheel uh, and that they are looking and watching and effectively trying to decide what you're going to get. So you can take some comfort in knowing that while you when you watch a film on Netflix, it may not be the greatest film, but it certainly won't be the worst. That's right. We should talk about our, our first and only real review of this episode. Andy, you saw the film. I already told people what it is, but please take it away. Aquaman. I'm no leader. I came because I had no choice. Uh, yeah, so this is DC's venture uh, solo film into the Aquaman origin story, who we first met in um, Justice League, Dawn or whatever, Dawn of Justice. I, I can't remember. I guess it was Justice League. Um, and, you know, it was really silly, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, one of the comments that sticks out in my mind, someone said, it's the, it's the worst movie that I love. 
or something to that or it's like the movie that you hate to love or it's just one of these it was a lot of fun but there are a lot of like eye rolling bits there's a lot of like cringy places but there are, there's a lot of good action there's uh really great effects um it it's a mixture of a lot of movies it feels parts black panther parts lord of the rings part you know things that we've are already seen um, but overall, I really enjoyed it. Like, it was a lot of fun. It's a little bit too long. It's at a full two and a half hours, and it's just a little bit too much going on. Um, but, you know, it felt more like a comic book movie and less like trying to pander to the audience. And this is what I've said before, is that when you explore characters that people aren't familiar with, you can kind of do more because there aren't expectations. Batman and Superman are really hard to do because the bar is so high expectation wise but someone like Aquaman you, you don't know you don't know his origin you don't know his family or any of that and so it's a little bit easier to swallow so I guess uh, where I want to start by asking questions here because it's been a while since I've been able to grill you about a movie that I haven't seen <laughs> uh, right. let's start with the look of it uh, looking at the trailer there's a there's a, certainly a lot of variety uh, definitely a, a wide color palette there and a boatload of CGI no pun intended how does that all come across? Like, is, does that work? At some point, do you feel like this is, is just fakery on fakery? What do you think? I think it, it works pretty well. There is a little bit too much when you have these big, massive battles, and you don't really know what's happening or who's fighting whom. Uh, but the spectacle is so big, you kind of don't care. Um, like I said, it's really fun, and the movie's done really well in China, where this is part of where that sort of thing works. Um, but it it didn't really bother me. The CGI w- wasn't bad or looked bad to me most of the time. Let's talk about those big fancy battles because every comic book movie seems to have one. Um, I think you can look at something like Wonder Woman, DC's last great venture or semi-great. No, it's a great venture into making a a superhero movie. The end of the movie, yeah, just falls apart into a CGI fest of rubble and, and, and shadows and you can't really see anything or what's going on. Looking at the trailer for this, not so much. It looks like there's a lot of sea monsters and there's, there's a lot going on and Black Manta's in it or whatever his name is. Like, looks real neat. How did yeah. all that come across? Did that did that sell? At some point, is it just chaos? Uh, I mean, what's it? It worked for me. the uh, The film does a good job of ramp- ramping up the action and slowly developing the character. And this is what I really missed from Man of Steel's. Um, so what I like in Aquaman is that it takes him the whole film to pretty much become the Aquaman. You know, he's reluctant at first. He has to, like, discover himself and work through these problems. He doesn't want to be there. And But you learn about him, and he eventually, you know, it's it's the, uh, you know, I, it's the Jon Snow, I never asked for this <laughs> kind of line. Uh, but he, he develops into a good character, and we finally see him in something like Man of Steel. Henry Cavill was Superman, like, 20 minutes into the movie. Like, we missed the whole origin part part of it. Right. And I've derailed, and I forgot what your question was. <laughs> uh, giant, well, it's funny, because you were leading right into to where I wanted to go. Uh, I was asking about giant battles at the end. Did that all come across yes. visually, or was that just a mess? I mean... A, a little bit of both. Like I said, it, it has a huge Lord of the Rings vibe. Um, but it, it it worked. It's a lot of fun, despite its flaws. It was, like, surprisingly enjoyable. I want to ask about character and motivation. Uh, you, you mentioned getting into uh, Jason Momoa's kind of arc as Arthur the Aquaman, but let's talk about Amber Heard, Willem Dafoe, Patrick, Nil- 
Patrick Wilson, Nicole Kidman, people who, as far as I know, weren't really advertised in the trailers but are listed on IMDb. How were they? Were they okay? Did they feel out of place? Did the movie do a good job of juggling a lot of characters in its two-and-a-half-hour, probably unnecessarily long run time? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Amber Heard is okay. She looks like the real-life Little Mermaid. Her hair is so unbelievably red. Her and Jason Momoa have this, like, will-they-won't-they meet-cute, like, romancing the stone, Rangers of the Lost Ark kind of romance that there's there's and there's a section in the middle of the movie that is like an indiana jones we got to look for this thing in the hidden whatever um so we we get some of that uh that doesn't really work it's kind of cringy but it's still kind of laughable and fun uh patrick wilson is way over the top as the king orm because he's got to deliver all these ridiculous lines of like call me ocean master you know and it's like man that you must have had a hard time doing that with a straight face uh willem dafoe is really good as as always as kind of he plays uh volk which is like the mentor to uh arthur curry the aquaman and then uh nicole kidman is in it as well we she gets some good amount of screen time um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Some of the, some things look really great and really awesome. And then some things just are really silly. She wears this like fish suit at one point, which just makes you kind of do some eye rolls. Um, but you got good action, strong female characters. They all mostly work. Uh, the character Black Manta is also in there. There's almost a little bit too much going on sometimes. Uh, but you get interesting, fun characters, and you get a little, you know, you get a Black Manta origin story. You see kind of how he turns into his thing, and there's a whole environmental message as, as well. Um, yeah, it's just a little bit too long, though. I, I wanted to ask about something that I think was missed in the trailer by a lot of people that I, I think is probably worth mentioning. I hope, anyway. You're a music man. How is the music? Because in the trailer, it's got a pretty good theme running under it. I don't think many people have noticed. But did it come across? Uh, would it feel epic? I mean, was it completely forgettable? Yeah, I, I liked it. It was it was uh, it wasn't terrible. It didn't really stand out. Uh, there is some good villain music. That's what I remember every, every time uh, Patrick Wilson's character shows up. There, you get the bad guy theme, uh, which is re- really good and pretty pretty memorable. Um, mm. But I can't really remember too much more than that. There's a lot going on. Lastly, I wanted to ask about uh, the director, James Wan, uh, creator of Saw, Insidious, Annabelle Creation. A lot of horror under this guy's belt, and suddenly he's doing an epic uh, uh, like this. It reminds me very much of Peter Jackson doing Dead Alive in New Zealand, and then suddenly he's making Lord of the Rings. Like, uh, how did that feel? Did that, I don't know. Was it forgettable? Was there anything in there that you were like, man, he's really good? Like, what's the... What's the there's rub? definitely some uh, a, a number of horror elements. Uh, there's a part where they go through these. Uh, there's a tale of like the fish people and how some of them devolved into like these essentially fish zombies. Um, and so we get to see a little bit of that. And there's also there's definitely some H.P. Lovecraft uh, influence uh, monsters like Kraken, kind of Cthulhu style. Uh, that, so we definitely get some of those horror elements. Um, and I mean, I imagine a project this big is just a massive undertaking. Um, and I mean, he's pulled it off. This this film has made seven or eight hundred million worldwide. It's I, it might be the most successful DC film in their canon. And who would have thought that, <laughs> that Aquaman would be the one to do it? Right. Uh, certainly not me. Uh, I do want to ask about how it fits into the wider universe. 
after Henry Cavill and, and Ben Affleck reportedly leaving the DC Universe, the last Aquaman feature had him alongside a bunch of other superheroes. This one, I would imagine, probably doesn't, but it comes from the world where they were real characters. Now he's doing his own thing. How does this set up for any kind of sequel, if at all? I mean, is there, are you talking a post credit scene, or is it pretty heavy-handed? Is it very light, just to see the DC kind of poke at it with a stick and see, let's see how it goes. Uh, what are we, how does this work into the bigger world of, of, of the DCEU? Well, it, it really stands on its own, which I liked. Like, you, you, could, you could start and end with this film and not have to know anyone else. We don't, we don't get cameos. We don't get that kind of, um, uh, excuse me. Uh, other people showing up, we don't. It's not trying to tie it in, and that's always a detriment that, that I in a lot of these movies that have like ten or twenty films lined up is that oh, this is just a trailer for the next film. This it really stands on its own. It's not just leading up to the next film, uh, and that makes it more enjoyable. It's there is a you know post credit scene that hints at a sequel to Aquaman itself, but uh, it does a good job of staying away of just like reminding you of like, hey, remember the Justice League? We'll be joining them again. <laughs> so any other thoughts before we move on to a, to a recommendation? Uh, it was just a big surprise. I, I was ready for a really mediocre movie, and it was actually a lot of popcorn fun, and D- DC's done something right here for a change, and uh, let's see if they can keep it up. Andy, would you recommend Aquaman? Um, I think I would if if you're a big DC fan or if you're a big comic book fan, it's probably for you. Like I said, it is a little bit too long, um, but it's got good action. It's got fun characters. It uh, incredible effects. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot in there to enjoy. It's a good holiday movie. It's and like I said, the length is kind of the only thing that bothered me. All right, so yes, worth the price of admission. Is that what I? What I'm getting at. Yeah, that? yeah, I th- yeah. I think so. All right. If you're into the comic book films, I, I would say yes. Well, before we get into our top 10, uh, something I should have asked you before we start Aquaman, what'd you watch over the holiday? What, what have you been, you've been going to see movies? Oh, so much, yeah. So it started with Aquaman. I also saw uh, Bumblebee. I watched uh, some things. Oh, I watched First Reformed uh, on Amazon Prime, uh, which I really liked. And then uh, Bandersnatch, I think. I'm right. to think there might have been somewhere oh, that might have been it, but yeah, I definitely watched a lot. Oh, I watched Avengers just o- over the break on a whim. I uh, I took the break very literally. I wa- I did not see a single film. <laughs> I did I did watch Bandersnatch, but arguably I started that at like twelve oh eight this morning. So I, I I can hardly say that was over the break. Uh, perfectly. Perfectly flip. What am I, what am I trying to say here? A, a great example of our yin and yang duality here on off script and, and yeah. our mentalities approaching movies. We should get in the top ten. Uh, but before we do that, any 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 thoughts about 2018 as a whole in film? Any any broad strokes here? If you'd like, I can go first. If you want me to give you a second to think about it. Uh, why don't you go first? Yeah, I, you know, I was impressed. I guess when 2018 started uh, over the over the course of the year. It didn't really felt like anything in particular really jumped out at me. I, I was thinking about my top 10. Uh, unlike you, I didn't put mine together over the course of the year. I decided I'd wait till the end and then look back and review, which was a mistake. I should have done what you did, and I didn't. Uh, but I'll talk about that why in a second. Overall, like I, I guess I didn't feel like over the course of the year there were too many incredible improvements or advancements. There were directors that I, I, I saw films from that I normally like very much who I was disappointed by. There were a lot of sleeper hits, uh, movies yeah. that I didn't think were going to be that great that really stood out. 
And looking back, like putting together a list, I was genuinely surprised at how much I enjoyed and how much I felt like innovated or moved the needle as to what's possible in their respective medium. I was I was really impressed with 2018. I'm looking forward to 2019. And I want to talk about what I liked. Uh, what'd you think? Um, I thought it was, it was a great year for film. Most years are really pretty good whenever someone's like, oh, that year was ter- terrible. When you look, go back and look back, there's always good stuff. Um, I think it was a great year for horror. Uh, we had a lot of great horror in, in the summer and in, in the fall. Um, so that was really exciting. Um, as well as, you know, we got Avengers, uh, which was the culmination of 10 years of, of filmmaking for Marvel. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it, I think it's been good. There's been some disappointments like there always are. Um, and, but what's, what's incredible is that this is kind of an in-between year because next year we're going to get a lot of Disney stuff, Star Wars, um, some of their live action things. So for something that's kind of a, a quote unquote light year, it's, um, it's been really impressive, I think. I agree. So, without further ado, I'm, I'm so excited to announce this. This is uh, off script, or I should say, off script film reviews uh, top 10 films of 2018. Yes, uh, let me set the tone here. What we're going to do is we're going to alternate going backwards in our list. I will do my number 10, Andy will do his number 10, I'll do my number 9, he'll do his number 9, so on and so forth. And then once we get to uh, 5, I think, let's stop and do our little Death of Cinema segment and talk about Bandersnatch, give people at home a good long break. So the first film on my top 10 list, number 10, Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. And I don't have any music to play for that. But yes, uh, Suspiria. This came out later in the year. I was excited about the idea of it. Suspiria has been a a white whale film for me. Uh, The original, at least, being a 70s horror film. (laughs) This was supposed to be a remake, and then it comes out, and it turns out kind of not really. It's it's really Luca Guadagnino's version of what he thinks that film is. And I was stunned. If I had to liken it to something, I'd say it's similar to Kubrick's Shining, it is not quite that. It's hard to describe. It's a movie I'm looking forward to watching again and looking at it. I couldn't. I couldn't not put it on my top ten list. Andy, what did you think of it? Um, it definitely went one of my favorites of the year. I was really hyped for it. Really looking forward to it. Um, it it uh, it just there's so much in there. It really blew my mind in a lot of ways. It it was kind of received mixed reviews, um, but it it definitely found was found a special place to me uh there's a lot of themes in there great performance by dakota johnson and uh tilda swinton um but yeah really enjoyed it uh all right we'll go for it you're, you're up next okay so my top 10 or my my number 10 is avengers <laughs> what's what's the tagline and <laughs> avengers uh infinity war good god infinity war yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> That's how memorable it is. No, so uh, for a number of reasons, uh, I thought it was a very good, it was a good movie, but more importantly, it was a culmination of 10 years of filmmaking and they just kept on, I'm amazed that they kept on track. They didn't lose actors. They didn't, 
you know, they didn't have massive delays. I mean, the production schedule was tight and never strayed. That alone is, is an incredible thing. And just to have, you know, essentially 10 or at this point, about 20 episodic films that lead up to this one uh, moment is, is really impressive. It's something that hasn't been done in cinema before, and I'm sure will, will continue. Um, but it, it was just—it was done really well. It was probably uh, the best villain that Marvel has has done. They've really struggled with having good convincing villains before. Yeah, sorry, can I? <laughs> no, go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I was—I I didn't put Avengers on my list, and seeing it on yours is encouraging because you're totally right. Like Avengers is a genuinely stunning film. Uh, they managed to get so many stars in I, I don't even know what your casting budget looks like for something like that they managed to spin so many plates so many worlds and versions and they managed to get different directors who had worked on these films to come together and collaborate to make one epic vision and i know a a a slight of of marvel films that that uh, select reviewers have said is that they don't stand up on their own that you have to have seen everything that's come before to understand them but in the case of avengers infinity war somehow i feel like they threaded that needle and you could have only seen a few marvel films and and watch this and genuinely enjoy it for what it is i think the introduction of thanos is is really really good for all the build-up they've had of him He's genuinely a cool character. He's he's, he's arguably the coolest uh, villain, certainly the best since uh, Loki. Really stunning work. And, and I can't remember the last time I was so excited to see a Marvel film, and I am so excited to see what's next in the Marvel franchise. So Avengers was nothing short of really neat. My number nine, uh, Annihilation. It is an Alex Garland film. Talk about a sleeper hit for me. I I didn't know what to expect going into this. I knew Alex Garland had made Ex Machina, a film that I greatly respect as great sci-fi. I knew this was based on a book, and that's about it. I remember talking about it on the show before I went and saw it and saying, I haven't watched the trailer in a while. I don't really know what to expect. I know Natalie Portman's in it. I know it gets weird, but that's all. And I, I kind of forgot about it. I watched it, and I thought it was really cool. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then slowly over the last couple of weeks, I've been seeing things pop up about it because award season's coming up and seeing a little behind the scenes things. And I, I forgot how neat it was and how, how, how sitting in the theater watching Annihilation, I, I had this feeling of like mystery and suspense that you just don't get at the movies. Uh, there's a few other films in this list that certainly cross that. This, this checks the box of interesting horror and sci-fi in a way that not many other movies do. It's a stunning movie, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, um, Annihilation, definitely one of my favorites as, as well. Um, one of my big things is I'm always looking for subtext and what uh, a film is about or what it's trying to say. And in, in addition to the good performances and the cool sci-fi things when they're, they're in like the, uh, I forget what they call it, but in like the special zone where everything's mutating, um, Aside from all that cool stuff and a fantastic score, you know, it, it's about um, human propensity towards self-destruction. Self-destruction is the, th- the theme, and all the characters are exhibiting different symptoms of that. They have uh, one character is, you know, a drug addict. Another character is suicidal. Another character ruined her marriage. You know, these kinds of different ways that, <laughs> that we tend to destroy ourselves, but also how 
through destruction comes rebirth. That's that's another. So the themes are really powerful, and they're portrayed in a visual cinematic way. And the end is just mind-blowing, and will leave you thinking and talking for a long time. Uh, my number nine is The Favorite, um, which starred Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz and Elizabeth Coleman in the period drama about uh, Queen Anne. That we just saw this a couple weeks ago so it's still fresh um from director yorgos lanthimos who we who is crazy and we absolutely love we did (laughs) we reviewed his killing of a sacred deer on the show as well as the the lobster way back when um and and the favorite was just it was mind-blowing incredible performances from all three leading ladies again lots of subtext and and lots of uh themes underlying and shot in a really cool way really cool use of lenses and angles as well as lighting man i was stunned by the favorite I, i i had an interest like when i first saw the trailer and then slowly as we got closer to seeing it i kept seeing it climb up the calendar to get closer to us reviewing it on the show. I got more excited going to see it. Um, really, really incredible work. Uh, arguably my, I prop, who am I kidding? Arguably my favorite by Yorgos Lanthimos, I think, um, probably by a long shot. And I think a big part of that is because he didn't write it, which I realize right. sounds bad because, because all of his other films I've seen he's written, but man, having enough of an outsider perspective and having him look at that story through his lens that truly made this like a collaborative work that was so engaging and working with actresses he's worked with before and actors rachel vice is brilliant in this film uh i i really enjoyed it the look of it the feel of it it's on my list later and and we'll revisit it shortly but for now um man i was really into the favorite my number eight and i realize now this seems intentional and it's not my number eight (laughs) film uh, is Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade, a, a a directorial debut by him, a story of young Elsie Fisher, an eighth grader just experiencing life at a time where social media and internet is on the rise. Uh, her single father tries to connect with her and fails miserably. She doesn't have many friends. She's alone and tries to tries to express herself on the internet like so many do and, and feels absolutely nothing back from that ultimately discovers that she is more than just who she wants to be man what a movie uh the 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 soundtrack is incredible the cinematography was stunning the characters are heartbreakingly beautiful Uh, i i could not get enough of this film and when i was putting together my top 10 for the year i left it off and then i put it back on and then i left it off and then i put it back on and ultimately i realized if i'm if i'm this conflicted over this film how could i not Put it in my top 10 of the year right. I, I loved eighth grade <laughs> yeah i really enjoyed it too this was bill burr's uh directorial debut and a really big hit for for a24 uh stunning work it it's really funny and really endearing and and w- it's not what i was afraid of i was afraid it was just going to be a you know a two-hour cringe fest um, but it's not, there is a lot of uncomfortable moments that people can relate to, but it's, it's not just about her struggles. It's also about her triumphs, you know, through th- <laughs> you're largely working through those uh, struggles. Like she's very insecure and not confident. And there's a couple of moments where she really just reaches deep down and, and finds the courage to do some things that she's not real comfortable doing or kind of putting herself in in situations that that she normally wouldn't and that's what's i think the the real triumph of this film that it's not all all about like oh the horrors of middle school it's about those small moments of growing up and success that happen along the way all right well you're up next please 
I'm actually I want to move on from this because this is high on your list. So <laughs> Wait, want, okay, so, we can. I, so, I don't mind visiting it now. I, <laughs> but that's fine. Uh, well, shoot. Uh, what do you want to do then? So uh, let me go ahead and jump to uh, disobedience since we just did annihilation was my number seven. Uh, disobedience, uh, which also starred Rachel Weisz and Rachel McAdams as uh, two uh, women from this Jew- Orthodox Jewish community who have uh, a relationship that's forbidden. And at the beginning of the film, Rachel Weisz's character, Ronit, um, her father dies. He's uh, like the head of this Orthodox church, and she's going back to this community that shunned her. And it's just, it's really stunning uh, piece of drama because it's it's about this love triangle between the two women and their friend, but also balances, you know, tradition versus family versus religion versus like being who you are. And it, it, it doesn't, it does a brilliant job of not condemning in either side it's not about the condemnation of religion it's about finding balance between all these things that are very important in all of these people's lives i was so impressed by disobedience uh, i i rolled into that film thinking this is going to be a dry boring drama that's got a, a lame love story that's predictable and it's so much more than that because the love story is is a little predictable like i, I think the trailer and just the poster kind of give away what's going on there but Man, talk about setting and what it can do for your film. And if you if you if you can tell if you can craft a story in a world that's just familiar enough to people that people can connect with, but different, that it makes it interesting. Like you you can truly put together a tale that's so engaging in a time and place where we are so inundated with the mystic and the magical and the supernatural and the superhero. You can you can put together a story in a normal world with normal people, and man, is it engaging. There, there's this, the cinematography in Disobedience truly did stand out. If there's anything that I have to talk about when the, when I talk about Disobedience, it's that there's this incredible technique used where where they would film a, a character real close up and just have this super thin field of view where they can just slip in and out of focus if they rock back or forth just a couple of inches and you get just their eyes or their nose or their face in focus and it's it's a stunning look and it happens a few times in this film and it is truly unforgettable i couldn't stop thinking about it rachel weiss mm-hmm. is, is is stunning again in this movie i i enjoyed it so much disobedience is tremendous i'm go- I, I want go ahead i sorry i wanted to have i had a quick story about disobedience yeah yeah no please so whenever I saw it, um, you know, the film started and uh, there was this really high-pitched squeal happening in the soundtrack. And it started happening in, in like the opening credits. And we're like, oh man, what are we in store for? So the first scene happens, which is about five minutes long. And this squeal is going on. You can't hear anything talking. And I'm like, oh man, this is so avant-garde. This is so crazy. <laughs> so then it carries into the second scene. And then we realize that there's an issue with the sound. It's not part of the <laughs> the film. But because it was the art house, we thought, hey, maybe it is. Yeah, I had a similar issue with La La Land in 2017. I, I swear the theater I went and saw that at, like, the, the lens on the projector was just out of focus or something, and it really messed with some shots. And at first, I was like, "Man, this is yeah, this is this is unique and authentic and experimental." <laughs> like, no, it, it was just a crappy screening, but uh, funny, <laughs> regardless. Uh, the last movie I should talk about before we move into our deaths of cinema segment. I'm going to skip my number seven because it's high up on Andy's <laughs> list, so we'll get back to that. But my number six film, Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. Uh, I am a 
sucker for stop motion, and more recently, a, a sucker for Wes Anderson. I didn't used to be. If you'd said that two years ago, I I I'd have said you're nuts. I I'm not a Wes Anderson fan. I don't like him. And lately, I've real really come around. And Isle of Dogs was an essential film in there for me. I think Wes Anderson's movies all have an effect on us. Often the first one you see is your favorite. In the case of this, maybe not. I, I, and I think my love for stop motion really does affect it. But overall, like the way Isle of Dogs tells a unique, engaging story in a fun visual medium, uh, in a engaging audible way w with using subtitles in the English language sparingly, really, really neat. And experimental and different, and I liked it. And, and when it came down to looking at the, my top ten of the year, I couldn't not have this on there. Isle of Dogs was stunning. What would you think? Uh, so I liked it, uh, but it, the, upon further reflection, I found it to be a little bit problematic. Um, it was very much lacking in diversity, which is, for an animated film, is a real problem, <laughs> I think, because, he, you know, and especially since they're dogs, there's no reason that you can have a more diverse cast. Uh, the film also was kind of uh, accused of cultural appropriation, um, which I don't, we didn't really talk about much on the show, but that's still... Um, kind of overs overshadows it, um, but I, I did I did enjoy it. It I thought it was uh, you know I like the stop motion as well. Um, it was endearing, it was charming, uh, but it, like I said, it has some behind the scenes kind of problems, and I, I'm not sure it's something that I would uh, choose to kind of watch again. Well, with that, we should take a break uh, and talk about our, <laughs> our our next segment. In between this, we will get back to our top ten, but we've been hitting it pretty hard. How long have we been talking about this? Okay, a while. That's fair. Oh, we should talk about <laughs> our next segment. Andy, please, you, you want to take it away? Give us the intro here. Bandersnatch. So this is the new interactive film from Netflix, uh, which is part of the Black Mirror series. Um, Black Mirror, if you're not uh, familiar, um, is a series about um, kind of dystopian futures that ha revolve around technology and kind of scary ways it may or, or may not go. Uh, it's, it's a very popular series. I've only seen kind of a, a handful of episodes, um, but they kind of just uh, showed up with this movie. A couple of weeks ago, I remember seeing an article that they would there was going to be a Black Mirror film and that it was going to uh, be a choose-your-own-adventure. And then the trailer plays... And then it's, oh, it's coming out tomorrow or I think came out Christmas Day or, or around there. Mm -hmm. um, so it was it was really surprising. You know, Netflix did an, another one of their kind of guerrilla marketing. Uh, so that's the film and kind of the storyline. And I only talk about this a little bit that centers around um, a young programmer named Stefan who is or Stefan, who is in 1984. England and uh, he's working on this game called Bandersnatch which is based on a book by uh, an author that also wrote a choose your own adventure film book and um, he he goes to a software company to help shop his game and they really like it and they want to pick it up and that's kind of the um, that, that's the base of the story but along the way and this is a really cool part is that you make decisions for the character uh, this little things pop up on the screen and you choose, you know, decision A or decision B or sometimes more complex things and different things happen and you kind of end up replaying some things or you get different storylines depending on what you do. Um, so, Zach, what did you think of 
Bandersnatch. So before I get too far into this, uh, we should help help me clarify here before, before I make a fool of myself. We are reviewing the film and then talking about its value as an interactive piece of media, right? In, in the bigger scope of film. Right. Yes. We're, we're more we're more talking about interactive film as a medium. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't mean to get I didn't mean to get into Bandersnatch. No. 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 I, I do want to talk about it for a second. Uh, I just wanted to make sure we're both on the same page because I don't want to I don't want to div dip like straight into review and then pull back. Through. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I have not seen a single Black Mirror episode. I've been told to see them forever. Every time I've tried to sit down and watch one, I'm usually not in the right like what's the word headspace, I guess, for it. I'm not thinking like, oh man, I want to watch something like really heavy and thoughtful. Uh, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm a simple man. What can I say? And we watch movies on this show. Give me a break. All right. I'm, I'm doing that twice a week. So uh, when it came to Bandersnatch and you said, hey, I want to, I want to talk about this thing. I said, you know, I haven't seen any Black Mirror. I'm a little, you know, I got some reservations and you, you said you encouraged me to do it anyway. Like, no, 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 that'll, that'll make for a good review. Right. I, I liked it. And I think the tone of me saying that <laughs> says, says more than I, I, I could. I, I loved the premise of it, like the the approach. It's it's kind of it's got like an '80s vibe. It's got some great retro music. It's about video games, like at what uh, choose your own adventure. Like I love that stuff. Like that's all that 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 fits great. It's it's about a shut in guy who likes to work on his own little passionate project. Like that that screams me. I, I love it. But ultimately, when it came down to it. The choose-your-own-adventure nature of Bandersnatch kind of distracted me more, like from the experience, more than paid into it. And it ultimately, to me, felt like the film was hitting the brakes more than it was going forward. It never felt like right. when I was making a decision that I was going down the hill of a roller coaster. It felt like I was slowing down to go up it, if that makes sense. And ultimately, right. I didn't think that benefited my experience. What did you think? Um, I, I liked it. Um, I, I, you know, again, I like the setting. I like the cast. Will Poulter's in it. Who's great. Uh, Fionn Whitehead, who, uh, was in Dunkirk as, uh, the lead character in that film. Um, and as, but as far as the decision making, it's, it's an interesting premise and I think it has a lot of potential. I don't think this is a good example of that. I think this is a good pilot, uh, for a start in interactive film, but I would like to see it become more complex. Uh, to me, the decisions were very kind of black and white or the opposite, not very – or just inconsequential. Right. Um, go ahead. So, so I, I think it has a lot of potential, and I'm excited to see where it could go. It reminds me of um, uh, through the video game Mass Effect where you have to make a lot of decisions, but the decisions are complex, and you're, you have to choose – you know, one way or the other for a complex problem. And no matter which one you choose, you know, some something bad might have to happen anyways to one person or another. So I think that there's a lot of potential, uh, but this was a good start. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of video games. And specifically, I, I like a lot of choose-your-own-adventure games. I don't know if there's any fans out there who have played these, but things like Telltale games, which are very much focused on this based on old Video games like what Bandersnatch is supposed to be in the story where it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure thing and you have like a dialogue tree and you kind of pick away. And A big complaint, uh, Bioware games do this as well. Yeah, Mass Effect's a fine example of that. A big complaint of games like that is often that it feels like your efforts are f ultimately futile. That it doesn't matter what you pick. That, that your character is on a track to do a certain thing no matter what. And, and ultimately right. it didn't matter what your decisions were. 
And Bandersnatch never really gets to that point because ultimately there are different endings and you do end up in a different place. And I only went through a couple of them. But as far as I know, those endings can vary very drastically depending on how how you pick. But yes. unfortunately, it feels like there is an, a level of inevitab inevitability to it. And I want to talk about why that is. Did you get that at all? Did, did you did you think? Yes. No, I... And th and then this is difficult to talk about because there is something like five hours of footage that you can go through or end up watching. And I only watched about 80 minutes or so. So because um, I've already spoiled endings or someone has spoiled an ending for me just for just by accident. Um, but I definitely did feel that uh, things were always going to go in a certain way. Um, you don't have a lot of, of variation in who you choose. And again, I, and I'm going to keep talking about a Mass Effect or a, one of the Knights of the Old Republic games was the was like this where you could either choose to go like light side or dark side, but even among those ways, basically you can cho choose to be a hero or a jerk the whole game. But even then you have to make big decisions that impact you and your mission and your, your, your crew. And I, th like I said, I would have liked to have seen more of that kind of variation in, in the endings. I agree. And I think it's in its approach. Bandersnatch is very smart because it's supposed to be like a twilight zone experience it's a little self-referential uh, in the world of, 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 of the movie. Um, movie, I guess you call it a film, right? A movie. Uh, right. Uh, the character is making a choose-your-own-adventure game called Bandersnatch. Like, it's it's very, like, I don't want to say tongue-in-cheek, but it's it, it's 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 very Black Mirror. Very meta. It looks back on itself. Yes, right. That, that is what Black Mirror is supposed to be. Um, but when you have a piece of media that has multiple endings, and each ending can vary drastically... Ultimately, it's difficult to suss out what it, what exactly you're supposed to take away from that because each each ending can have a different kind of meaning. And while you can go back and look at the whole thing as a bigger picture, I don't know if it's worth evaluating Bandersnatch in your version of, of your run through it or if you need to look at the entire five hours at all of the branches and look at it ultimately as a piece of media as a whole. We didn't do that. We I, I looked at like two, two trails. You looked at one and then heard another one. I, I do feel like ultimately it, it's difficult to say, which is why a lot of people can't decide what this means for film and whether whether or not this even is a film or, or, or describe what this thing is. Right. Well, it, to me, it's, it's an exciting development. You know, choose your own adventure is nothing new, but this is probably the first interactive film that we've seen on a wide scale ever. And... You know, it's exciting to see what it can do. Maybe, you know, maybe we go down that rabbit hole and, and it doesn't work. Maybe there's just, maybe it's just too cut and dry, too A and B, too gimmicky. Or maybe someone figures out <clears throat> a way that to make it really meaningful and um, and interesting. I, I think one w way you could do is, again, kind of like is done in video games where the storyline, the main storyline doesn't change, but your character can be a whole different person. So you could have a film where your character is a hero and he's a great guy the whole time. And then you could ha you could have a version where he's not, and he's like an anti-hero, or he's a jerk. And you could actually develop two kinds of characters and have you know different, maybe develop different themes behind each one. I and that I think the potential of it is what really excites me. Um, so we'll we'll see where where it goes. Um, it, it's worth mentioning to I've talked to some people who are big fans of Black Mirror uh, most of them were they said a little disappointed in the episode may, mostly because it's not dark enough uh, they said the the regular show is kind of will creep you out even 
more so and that this episode didn't quite live up to the the creep factor that a lot of them do. Yeah, and I, I kind of heard the same from people I know who've watched Black Mirror. They said they were a little disappointed in its presentation. Um, I, I haven't seen it, so I don't really know what to take away from from that. Uh, yeah, ultimately, when I'm watching this, I felt a little bit like what I'm watching would work a lot better in, like, children's animation. Not to say it's, like, childish because, it's like, oh, it's a game. And it, no, it's not that at all. It's that kids who are watching something th- that has stuff like this, say, say like, a, I don't know, a Door the Explorer where you can pick what they do. I'm like, that. that is such a great gimmick because they don't have to look too far into it. But if you're right. an adult and you're, and you're watching this and you're, you're, you're wondering what's happening and you're critically evaluating every choice that comes up and looking at little things that I notice, like Netflix will specifically land the cursor on whichever one it kind of wants you to do of the two binary decisions. Or if you end up in a position where you need to go back or you make a mistake, it, it makes it, just a, a, like too heavy-handed, too ham-fisted, uh, that yeah. it doesn't. Ult- yeah, it doesn't ultimately feel like a decision. Like it, it hurts the piece of media for what it is, and, and it hurts what it could be. So that, yeah, it, that also might be part of the point, though. Uh, maybe that you, you're you're being manipulated, just like you're doing the manipulation. Yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> But like, but possibly, possibly. If if you wanted to, I feel like if you wanted to try to try to make a statement about that, you okay? I'm about to do that thing where I say you can't you can't dislike something for what it isn't. You have to appreciate it for what it is. But hear me out. If, if you wanna <laughs> if you wanna start to dip into experimental ways to make an audience feel as if they have control, whether or not they actually do, I, I feel like there's ways that have been done that that are much more effective. Things like theatrical shenanigans you know play playing with the lighting in a theater or, or like the look of things i i think of like uh that experiment who, who was it uh i forget who directed the truman show back in the day but back in the day one of the things he wanted to do uh, to, to kind of show uh the truman show as, as being a piece of media that could potentially be real is he wanted to set up a camera in theaters and during a shot uh, in the Truman Show, when you see people watching Truman, it would cut to that camera and people would see themselves looking at the screen. Right. Like, that makes a little bit more sense to me than, hey, pop on your Xbox and watch this thing for 80 minutes and it'll really blow your mind, man. Like, it's not, there's not enough you can control, I guess. Uh, right. You need to be able to immerse people in a deeper way than just a series of binary decisions. Um, yeah, I, I agree. But again, I, I can't, I can't, I can't sit here and act like, well, should have done this. Like that's stupid. I get it. Ultimately, Bandersnatch did not really work for me. I'm glad I did it, and I love the way the internet and and reviews have kept it at arm's length to make it seem interesting and fun and unique. I, I'll be interested to see what comes around the corner. I'll probably do the next interactive media they do, right. um, which is, I think, Minecraft Story Mode, which I think is already on Netflix. Speaking of Telltale Games, uh, rest in peace. <laughs> um, I'll be interested to see what they do next, I guess, and I'll probably do it. For now, you're, I think you're totally right. This is an interesting experiment uh, as a pilot program, and it could be more. Yeah, I, I, I'm I interested to see what how you would apply this to long longer-form films and maybe a, the theatrical experience as well. Um, you know, some, maybe something when you buy your ticket, you get a list of questions you have to answer. And then, you know, depending on those answers, you know, you get a, a different version of the film or some, something like that. I'm interested to see if this could work in at the cinema. <laughs> Me too. 
Well, uh, with that being said, we should move back into our top tens, finish up the last five, hit some honorable mentions, and talk about our worst film of the year, which I think is just as valuable. Looking at the breakdown here, I only have a few movies left to talk about in my top five that we haven't already covered. You've got one more. So here's what I'm thinking. You start, right. and then we'll alternate, and then you'll finish it out because you've got one more movie than me. That makes sense, right? That math adds up. Okay. People at home okay. have no idea what we're talking about. Anyway, go ahead, please. <laughs> All right. Uh, Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here. Uh, this was the uh, Joaquin Phoenix-led uh, revenge-slash-hitman uh, drama where uh, Joaquin Phoenix is a ex-soldier, ex-military, who uh, he's not a bad guy. He actually, he, he's he's kind of a fixer. He rescues kind of... Uh, women that have been sold into sex trafficking and that's kind of a mission he gets but he definitely works like you know outside the law and he's very brutal and he's a very damaged person and this is what is so brilliant about this movie is that it's a character study about him it's not about this uh the story as much as him as the character dealing with this rage and this like he's suicidal um but he he comes throughout the movie he changes and he comes to value his own life a lot more than, than he did uh, at the beginning, but it's, it's, it's hyper violent, um, incredibly well acted. And it was just, just a big surprise. Uh, what did you think? I think before we get into, uh, before I jump into, you never really here for a minute. Uh, I think I love the top fives here because I realize this is where we're really going to get in the weeds on what was great and what the other one didn't think was so great, which is perfect. <laughs> you Were Never Really Here was not on my top ten list. I left it in honorable mentions. And I almost felt bad about it. I really did. And I still kind of do, especially seeing that it, it's in your top five. I I don't know if I had a fever when I went to the theater or or what, but this movie just did not stick with me. And I'm not sure why. I know it's good. I, I respect it as good. <laughs> I saw the reviews. I know what you thought about it. But for some reason, I just did not get that much out of it. And I can't really describe why. It just felt forgettable. Like, I I feel like I, 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 I walked in halfway through a joke or something and don't get the punchline because I didn't hear the setup. But I was there. I watched the movie. And ultimately, I didn't get that much out of it. And it's not because it's not good. It's not because it's not great. I just... I don't know. I wasn't drinking the Kool-Aid, and I, I can't really describe why. And so I'm bummed that I didn't like it. Hyper-violence, walking <laughs> Phoenix, what's not to love? But somewhere <laughs> along the way, I just did not catch what uh, what what The Rock was cooking here. So I don't know. You're, you were never really here. I, isn't on my list. I, it probably should be. I need to watch <laughs> it again, and I bet I'll enjoy it more next time. Well, this is what exactly why these are, are fun to do because we we remember what did and didn't kind of strike a chord, and that's what cinema really is about. It's about the how the movie speaks uh, to you, and I think for me, one of the reasons I liked it, like most things that stick with me, are just the thematic uh, things were very powerful, um, which I can't quite think of right now, other than um, Joaquin Phoenix is a he's a Christ figure, and there's there's several like Christian iconography. Um, you know, baptism, uh, redemption. He's a he's a carpenter. He uses a hammer. You know these kinds of things, <laughs> despite being incredibly violent. Uh, so it's those little touches that that were really brilliant. I I, I would like to to watch it again. Um, I guess ahead. I should take the next one, right? Yeah. Uh, so speaking of little touches that are brilliant, um, I, I'm I'm stunned to see this isn't on your list, uh, and I can't. I, I I'm hoping you'll it, give me an explanation. It as to was, why. and then I moved it. All right. Uh, my number five is Hereditary. This movie genuinely surprised me, not only in its presentation, but 
actually sitting in the theater. I remember going to see it. It was a cold, rainy night, and I was sitting alone at the theater, and you were talking about, hey, we got to go see this movie Hereditary, and I thought, yeah, that's stupid. Like, the trailer looked neat, I remember, but, like, I didn't remember a lot about it, and I, I thought, okay, I'm not a big... I don't really like going to see horror movies alone. How bad could it be? It can be bad. Hereditary <laughs> was yes. spooky. It was downright spooky. Man, I was afraid of the dark for a week after watching this movie. It came out of nowhere. It swung hard. And, and while it didn't always hit the high note, while there's definitely some places it could have been better, man, for a movie that I didn't expect, that didn't ha- it's not a sequel to something for an original piece using a lot of actors I'm not familiar with and actresses that I'm not familiar with, man, did I enjoy Hereditary. I, it... it it's the only only film on this list I remember sitting in the theater. Well, I take it back. One of the only. Now that I look at my, my number one. <laughs> uh, it's one of the only films uh, that I remember uh, at one point in this film sitting there with my, my jaw genuinely dropped open in absolute surprise and horror at what had happened on screen. And I can't remember the last time that happened in a theater where I was so invested in what was going on. I had a legitimate physical reaction to what had <laughs> happened. Stunning work, Hereditary. Yeah, it. I was really looking forward to this. The trailers were super creepy, and it was A24 who's been on a roll this year, uh, so I was really looking forward to it. And, man, it really delivered. Like, the third act is so crazy. It is really scary. It's the most scared I've been in the theater all year. Uh, <laughs> a- a- absolutely. It, it was messing with my dreams. I was thinking about it all week. Had Our friend Amanda, who's been on the show, was clicking in my ear. Uh, at, at every passing moment to remind me of the movie. Um, but yeah, it was something else. And like I said, it's been a great year uh, for horror. Th- things like this, things like Suspiria, things like A Quiet Place, which didn't, didn't make my list, um, but uh, it's still a good piece of horror. It, it's, yeah, it's just, it's an exciting time. And it is a little slow. It is a little long. It's a little bit of a slow burn. But man, once it gets there in Act 3, it's like uh, put on a helmet, put on your seatbelt. <laughs> Yeah, and I was a little disappointed to hear people say, hey, man, I was hereditary. I heard it was the scariest movie of all time. It's not like that. It really isn't. It reminds me of Suspiria and the way that Suspiria does its horror. Like, it's not It's not what you expect. If you go in with an open mind, like I truly think you'll be really surprised at what hereditary has to bring to the table. Uh, it's not perfect, but, man, it was good. Uh, you're up next, please. Uh, so my number four is a Netflix film, uh, The Coen Brothers' Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Uh, so we, re- we reviewed this uh, a couple months ago. It came out uh, in November. Uh, and this is a unique uh, film. It's a Western anthology. It has six different stories, uh, all unrelated. And uh, they're, they're almost like a set of fables. Uh, like I said, one, one is about a sharpshooter. One's about a bank robber. Another one's about a traveling sideshow, gold prospector, organ train, carriage ride. Um, and man, they're just done so stylistically well, and and they work as mini movies that it, it's just it's really stuck with me. I love the Gold Prospector story. I've gone and rewatched that one a couple times because there's just a lot in there. And like I said, they work as fables, so there's a kind of a message or a meaning that I think you're every you're supposed to get from each story. And it you know it was on net, on Netflix. It was really incredibly easy to watch. I. I don't know how keen-eyed Andy was when I was putting my list together here on, on our outline, but I came down to eliminating Ballad of Buster Scruggs up to the minute. Uh, I, I <laughs> Just before we were recording, I swapped it out uh, for Annihilation. 
I was so impressed by this movie, and I still am, and I still want to go back and watch it again because it has so much to say in so few words, and it does such a great job. It is a, a brilliant Coen Brothers film. It is six westerns in, in a way only the Coen Brothers know how. I Man, I still don't know what exactly it's saying because it says so much, but I... I I, I enjoyed it a ton. It's it's one of the few Netflix films I've watched in recent memory that I thought I, I can't wait to tell people about and say you guys have got to check out this movie. It is really cool. Um, Ballad of Buster Scruggs is really good stuff, and I'm bummed it's not on my list. It's certainly honorable men- mentions, and I it, it absolutely deserves a top five spot. Uh, my next film, uh, my number four here, the only film on either of our lists that is a documentary. Uh, Won't you be my neighbor? I this is one of those movies uh, that that, that hits at such a strange time. Uh, And I think that's probably a big part of why I enjoyed it so much, because I'm such a primary audience for it. Mr. Rogers was something that was on when I was a kid, uh, when, when everything was bright and shiny and new and the world didn't seem so bad. And, and he's passed away since, and, and I've gotten older and the world has, has, has turned and, and man, we live in some crazy times and, and watching this, watching a movie about him when it turns out he was just as human as everybody else. And, and, and he was just a good dude meaning to do good things. Um, it really, really hit home in a way that's difficult to describe. It, it is, it is a heartbreaking uh, tribute to a man who just wanted everybody to be cool with one another. And, and I couldn't, not put it on my list. I, I'm not a big documentary fan, but this movie um, uh, was was genuinely moving for me. So that's Won't You Be My Neighbor. What did you think? You know, I, re- I really enjoyed this film, but I did forget about it, unfortunately, uh, when I was thinking about my top 10. <laughs> but it but it is really endearing, and it, and it shows the unlikelihood of this show. You know, it was low budget. Uh, you know, seem it seems like a bad idea on paper, but people really connected to it and they connected with it for, you know, several decades. Um, and, you know, and it's not this this flower power kind of hippie, oh, we got to love each other, man. Like it's it's really about, you know, it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to have, be angry or scared or afraid, but also happy and joyful. And it was about letting kids know that they can have these feelings and they can talk about them, which also means it's okay for adults to have these feelings and talk about them as well. And he would take on some really serious subjects, things like the assassination of JFK, things like the Challenger explosion, and, you know, having to explain death to young children and having to kind of recover. Uh, but really brilliant uh, documentary about an incredible man and, and a show that you couldn't make this again in this time. Like the world has changed too much. Media and TV has changed too much to make something like this again. Uh, real quick, before we get into your number two, uh, would you mind telling the world what your number three was? <laughs> because I don't want you to skip it. Right. My, my number three was was Suspiria, uh, which, uh, again, I, I really loved it. it. It really connected with me. Um, love the soundtrack uh, by Tom York uh, from REM, I believe. Uh, uh, no. Um, no, wrong band. <laughs> Radiohead. Good God. Yeah. Radiohead. Like, yeah, sorry. I, yeah. Begins with an R. Uh, yeah, Suspiria was was my n- number three. It's, stu- it's stunning. It really is. Uh, I, I mean, it, I, I feel so split that that's in my te- that's that's my number ten, and that's your number three. Like there there is a a mile between those two, and it's so good. And the only reason it's so low on my list is because I don't understand it, and I think that's 
part of the reason why it's so high on your list is because there's so much because <laughs> so I, much cause I totally do understand it it is yeah <laughs> it, it is the boldest of bold cinema man it's really good stuff anyway i'm sorry uh, i just wanted to make sure we mentioned that yeah, you're number two please um this is the only animated one on our list uh spider-man into the spider-verse uh, so this was kind of a surprise. I mean, the trailer for this came out last Christmas, and it looked really good, really impressive uh, animation style. Um, but I was really blown away. So I did. That was the other movie I saw over the break. This is a, I have seen it twice now, um, and it, it, I lo- loved it even more on the second time, especially the third act. It's just it's a really complex uh, su- uh, superhero comic book film that starts to get into the weirdness that comics do about multiple dimensions and universes and multiple versions of the same superhero, uh, that all that stuff is like, you know, standard, uh, schlock, uh, in comics. And this is the first time we're seeing it on film, but it's, it's so much fun. The animation is incredible. Great soundtrack, good voice acting. It's just, I'm definitely going to buy it when it comes out on Blu-ray, really looking forward to it. Zach, what did you think? Man, talk about a Cinderella story. That that movie we reviewed that last week. Out of the whole year, we made it through, and the movie comes out a week before our top ten and scoops your number two spot. And it's <laughs> worth it. It really is. I'm so bummed I couldn't fit it on my list. And it's not that I didn't love it. It's that I just didn't have enough time to sit on it and process it and get to know it. I probably should have put it on there somewhere. I, I'm not disappointed in my list, but man. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse was so cool. It has come at a time when we are so oversaturated with superhero films, and it is bold, and it is striking, and it is engaging. I, I, it made me feel like a kid watching it. And, and, and I remember sitting in the theater as it moved through, and I felt it move into its second act and its third act. I just kept hoping it'd slow down. Slow down. I will watch more. I, I, I will I will sit here longer. Like I don't have anywhere to be other than getting into what this movie is because it was so much fun. I, I loved it. It is bold. It, it is a different kind of bold cinema, but it is just as engaging. I, I, I wish it had been in my top ten. It is absolutely an honorable mention. And in retrospect, maybe maybe halfway through twenty nineteen I'll revisit this list and knock something off and put it in because it is just such a cool flick. For sure. Before we get into our number one favorite film of 2018, we should mention some honorable mentions and get into worst of the year. Andy, honorable mentions for you, sir. What should have been on your <laughs> list? What would you not have room for? What do you got? Yeah, I, I have a lot here. Uh, Alexander uh, Quaron's. I think it's Alexander Quaron. Alfonso uh, Quaron. Um, Roma, which is a Netflix film, mm. a beautiful film in black and white about uh, this. Uh, this made in growing up in Mexico with this wealthy family and a lot of political instability. Uh, that was excellent. Um, Thoroughbreds, which I don't think Zach saw, but there was another A24 film came out in the spring. An- incredible performances by, um, oh, I'm blanking here. Who's in The Witch? Who's Anya Taylor-Joy, right? Anya Taylor-Joy, yeah. And uh, um, what's his name? Chekhov. God, that's not his name. Anton Yelchin. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, A Star is Born, uh, which is Bradley Cooper's uh, directorial debut. Really impressive. Good performances by him and Lady Gaga. Great soundtrack. It's gonna, it's definitely gonna win some Oscars, I think. And then Hereditary is also on my honorable mention list. I um, left a couple off my honorable mention list because they're so recent. Uh, Roma, of course, should be on there. 
I'm I'm almost disappointed to see how many top tens that's topped of, of people I, I respect, celebrities or directors or otherwise. Barack Obama had it on his top ten. Guillermo del Toro had it on his top ten. Um, it's not that I didn't... <laughs> It's not that it's not great. It's that I just didn't fall in love with it. It just didn't cast a spell on me the way it has everybody else. And maybe someday it will, but it's still good stuff. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, again, should probably be in my top 10, uh, but it's not for now. So it is what it is. My honorable mentions are very mainstream here. Uh, things that I just thought were really good <laughs> that I'm not putting in here. First Man, Damien Chazelle, a movie I wanted to love but just didn't hit that high note. Black Panther, Crazy Rich Asians, Bad, bad Times at the El Royale, A Star is Born. Uh, sleeper Hit, something I didn't like as much but over time I've started to come around on. Bohemian Rhapsody, I put in my honorable mentions. <laughs> okay. The Little Stranger, I thought was great. It just wasn't great uh the andre the giant documentary from hbo a quiet place i, I did slide in eighth grade so i don't have to worry about that and mid 90s also the ballad of buster scruggs All great right. stuff um we should talk about our worst film of the year i initially wanted to do a top five worst you opted to just do the one and looking at our time that probably makes a lot of sense so yeah you want to go first or should i what do you can are, can i mention both of these well, my, mine is one of those, so for what it's worth. Why don't you do the first one, and then I'll do the second one. How about that? Oh, okay. Yeah. So there were two. The second worst film of the year for me was Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which was just so bad. Total trash. The first <laughs> act is kind of okay, but then it just goes off into left field. It tries to kind of be a horror movie. It's got a ridiculous plot that you can't follow. You got the dinos dinosaurs are mutating, and it's just... It's so bad. I was so bored. Like that—that that was the thing. I was looking at my watch all the time. Just couldn't wait for it to be over. And my worst film of the year was Jurassic World. <laughs> 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 Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom tops my list. And man, I thought about it. Super Troopers Two could have been on there. Like easy. That could have been the worst. Uh, but no, it's got to be this one. And I'll tell you why. Because I Super Troopers Two had a ton of problems, and I love Broken Lizard, and I love the first one. But at least it had some heart. It was made by guys who you could tell on screen were charismatic and genuinely loved what they were doing. Jurassic World 2 had everything going for it. It is a complete bomb. It is a disgrace. I, 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 I hated it every second. There was a post credit scene. I didn't care. The second this movie hit credits, I got up and walked out. And then I texted oh, I Andy, and I was like, That's, that might be the worst film of the year. And I'm glad to say, <laughs> for me... It was. It was so bad. It was a cheap cash grab. It was a knockoff. It was ham-fisted, and it sucked, and I hated it. So that's my worst film of the year, Jurassic World 2. There's a whole review on it. You can go back and listen. That's what I thought. Andy, your worst film of the year, please. Ah, The Happy Time Murders. Oh, man. So this was the Melissa McCarthy-led um, puppet shock humor detective story. It had lots of really crude, vulgar humor in the trailer and more in the film. Uh, for what it's worth, I actually thought that 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 concept has a lot of potential of this kind of like R-rated uh, Muppet puppet thing. I think something could be done with that. But um, yeah, the, the jokes just weren't there. The, the characters were trying too hard. It wasn't funny at all. Uh, there, there was a couple of great scenes with uh, Melissa McCarthy and... Um, Oh gosh, I'm blanking on on actors now. Maya Rudolph. SNL. Maya Rudolph. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so that there was a couple of funny scenes with just them two, but man, it was just so bad, and I couldn't wait for it to be over. 
Um, and it's, it definitely gets my worst worst film of the year. The only reason The Happy Time Murders is not at the top of my list alongside uh, what would be Super Troopers 2 is, one, because it's Brian Henson, the man who directed, uh, son of Jim Henson, and directed A Muppet Christmas Carol, a movie I greatly respect. Um, but it's more importantly, it's Henson Alternative, which is a new spinoff of, of, of the Henson kind of brand. It, like, it, for me, at least they tried. They tried to do something different. They're like, you know what? We're going to do something radically different. It's probably not going to be popular, but we're going to swing for the fences and see what happens. And it sucked and it bombed and it wasn't funny. But I'm like, at least you swung for the fences. At least you went for it. At least you tried to do this raunchy, modern Muppet comedy. Like, the the puppetry was okay. Like, at least it it tried. It, It made an effort. Similar to Super Troopers 2, but... Jurassic World 2, no. (laughs) Yeah. There's no redemption. The other thing is that the other two are smaller films, like Super Troopers and Happy Time Murders. And Super Troopers was crowdfunded, you know? So even if we don't like it, there was a crowd out there who wanted it. Yeah. And enough to fund it and for it to get made. So, you know, at least there's an audience. But like you said, for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I don't know who it was for. I don't know what it was for. And unfortunately, it made enough money that they will make another one regardless. So... Yeah, like I Jurassic World Two <laughs> represents everything that's wrong with the industry. <laughs> it's a, it's a horrible <laughs> film and deserves to be taken out and shot. Uh, I should cover my number three and my number two, and then let's get into our number ones because I haven't gotten to those. My number three film is one you already covered: Disobedience. I loved this movie when it came out. By the time it hit credits, I, I was so stunned at a movie that I did not expect to be that great being my favorite at the time of the year. And I couldn't forget that. And I remember walking out of that movie and going, that might be my favorite movie this year. Stunning work. Um, A a movie that's not made for me. That is not uh, like the primary audience. Isn't me, but man, it is bold cinema in a way that's just super engaging. My number two film, Mm -hmm. another Rachel Weisz feature. Yorgos Lanthimos is the favorite. My God, that I like this movie. <laughs> I, uh, when, it, when, it, when it ended, I remember thinking this is my favorite film of the year and then remembering, wait, 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 there's one other at the top. We've already covered why we like this movie in the episode we, record, we, we, we reviewed it. We also talked about it earlier in top tens. Let's talk about our number ones. Andy, you want to go first or should I? I'll go first. Please. Okay, so my number one is Spike Lee's Black Klansman. God bless white America. And I said this when it came out that this is, I think this will be the most important film of the year. And I still believe that, Um, you know, the story centers around uh, John David Washington plays a black police officer who infiltrates the KKK in 1970 and kind of uncovers some plot plots about, uh, you know, terrorism. Um, And and it's a comedy somewhat because, uh, uh, what's the other oh, God Adam driver plays the cop that actually has to go meet with them. So there's, it's a, there's a comedic setup, but it's about very serious things. It's about racism, but not just blanket like that. It's about kind of how racism has infiltrated the political system and how, you know, organizations like the Ku Klux Klan are now represent represented in Congress or making more moves politically than, you know, they're not burning crosses in people's yards anymore. Um, and it's incredibly timely and, and the ending, and I mean, this has been out for a while, but 
the ending is really shocking that because it shows footage from um, the the rally in in Charlotte where uh, the guy ran his car through the crowd and killed and maimed people. And I remember when that happened, like I just could not watch that footage. It was posted everywhere. I just could not watch it. And and I was forced to watch it in this film. And it's I mean I'm glad that it's there because it's incredibly powerful. And um, Spike Lee is reminding us that these problems that were around 40, 50 years ago, this kind of racism, this infiltration of the political system are still here. And in fact, it's probably worse than it, than it has been. I made uh black Klansman, my number seven and your number, my number one is your, your number eight. And I think it's worth mentioning that while <laughs> for both of us, these movies were not necessarily, uh, you know, we were a little divided on how we felt ultimately, ultimately both of them, are top 10 films in their own rights, whether they're at the top of the list or the bottom. They are stunning work, and Black Klansman is a brilliant example of that. When we reviewed this film, I remember reviewing it as a narrative and feeling a little frustrated at the end of the episode. Did we do that any justice? Was that worth the way we reviewed it? And what we left out was reviewing it as a film essay, which is ultimately what Spike Lee does. He's more of a film essayist than he is a traditional narrative film director, but Black Klansman does this brilliant thing where it tells a story so charming and engaging that despite its timeliness and what it has to say about the world we live in now it feels like a traditional narrative story it's a film that you can glean something from either way whether you're a general audience or you're going in and looking at this as a a piece of cinema from the great spike lee i'm not traditionally a big spike lee fan uh but this movie was charming in a way that's hard to describe and you're right ultimately very moving uh ideologically emotionally and otherwise getting to the end of this film and seeing it cut to footage of reality stung in a way no other film has uh hereditary might have kept me afraid of the dark but this movie kept me up at night I couldn't stop thinking about it. it. It is so interesting, and 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 ultimately, like I I I need to see it again. I really do. I, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere right now, but if it is, I'd like to take another look because Black Klansman was just such a piece of film in 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 2018. It was so defined by who we are um, and what we could be, and Black Klansman right. was awesome. Yeah. Oh, and, right. and now, um, yeah. <laughs> now it's time for Zach. Yes, thank you. Uh, a film that, uh, that Andy probably is not surprised to see as my number one, as I told him, I'm pretty sure, immediately after we finished watching it. Uh, <laughs> uh, my number one film of the year is uh, Panos Cosmatos's Mandy. <laughs> Mandy is a experimental art house film a a genre i am normally not into at all i was so stunned by mandy i I was captivated i was in a word spellbound it's it's simple story but it's incredible storytelling is a testament to how the way a story is told the journey is arguably so much more important than the destination and the story of nicholas cage's descent into hell and back uh, uh, to to reconcile his his feelings over his beloved titular Mandy was so stunning to me. It's difficult for me to describe. I have this movie sitting in an Amazon cart. I don't know why I haven't bought it yet. 
We watched mm-hmm. it at the Texas theater where the music was turned up to freaking 11, and so was the violence, and so were the hallucinatory effects. Mandy was a stunning piece of work, and while it's not for everybody, my God, was this movie for me. Andy, where was Mandy on your list, and what did you think of it? Uh, it's number eight on my list, um, and it was definitely one of the best of the year. Nicolas Cage, out of nowhere, is having a great year and actually coming back as, as a good actor. Um yeah, just stunning experience. That's it's like a ride. It's it's like it reminds me of things like Interstellar or, or Dunkirk, which you you feel that you have to experience, not just watch. Um, incredible score, great performance by um, Nicholas Cage. Like I said, this was the last score of Johan Johansson. He passed away last year, and like we said, unfortunately, it's not going to be eligible for Oscars uh, because of a dumb rule. Uh, but man, yeah, it was something else, and like like you said, it was very much an experience, and yeah, it's a beautiful experimental film. And I, I'm almost conflicted about putting an experimental film at the top of my list because it's so subjective. It's so much like what you take away from it. I know people that watched it and thought, yeah, it was okay. Um, it's not for everybody, and it's difficult for me to describe that when I'm telling people about it because I'm so passionate about it. Um, similar to Black Klansman, I think I'm sure there's people who watched that movie and thought, yeah, it's okay. Like, and that's ultimately what all of this is that's ultimately what a top 10 list is it is our favorites it is by no means any kind of metric for what is the best or what is the worst i'm convinced uh because mandy is my favorite it will be snubbed in every award season till the end of time it, it deserves all <laughs> of the awards sir uh especially your hanson's incredible score um but man 2018 what a year at the movies my god we yeah, had we had a absolutely lot of fun. yeah i i don't really have much more to say about it uh any, any footnotes andy any any what do you think? Uh, well, we mentioned the Oscars. Um, the Oscar nominations come out January 22nd. Uh, so we'll definitely be talking about those uh, in the coming weeks. Um, there is not much to see this week or next week. Uh, this is a real dry time for movies. There's a lot of hangover from uh, the Christmas season. There's So there's films to catch up from there. Um, but, Zach, what are we watching next week? Excuse me. I was taking a drink of water after my ridiculous rant on Mandy. Uh, next week, we are going to check out uh, a movie that already came out, but we you know well, both of these already. What am I doing? Mary Poppins Returns. We're going to go see. And I know you're thinking, wow, off script, the home of bold cinema covering a, a d- generic Disney reboot sequel film, Mary Poppins Returns. Man, I love Mary Poppins. All right, take it easy. All right, <laughs> just sit back and relax and maybe see what we think of the film. And go see it if you haven't. If you already have, great. Stay tuned for the review. We're also going to look at Beautiful Boy. On Amazon Prime, uh, there are a handful of award season films that are coming to streaming. Uh, I don't know a lot of them by name, uh, but Beautiful Boy stands out. And I go, oh, that's the one with with Steve Carell and Timothy, Timothy Chalamet. It stands out because it, it it looks tremendous, and I'm really excited to watch it. I'm very excited that it's already on streaming, and I can check it out, just like First Reformed, which I need to see. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm curious to see what it's going to be. It's definitely going to be salt and vinegar. It's going to be uh, salt and vinegar. Honey and vinegar is what I need to say. Uh, very charming. Mary Poppins returns. Hopefully very deep and emotional and raw. Um, beautiful boy. But uh, Andy, what, what do you think? Are you excited? Are you, uh, what, what else do you want to see? What do you got? I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to both of these. Um, the funny thing about beautiful boy, you know, it's it's about a father and son dealing with addiction. I feel like there's a number of films that have come out that are kind of different variations of this. Uh, there's the uh, Lucas Hedges film, uh, helmed one with Julia Roberts called Ben is Back. 
Um, and there's another one called Boy Erase, which is a little, it's about gay conversion therapy, but there's several of those movies out as well. So, but they, there's a number of these like young males and like their fan kind of dysfunctional family film all coming out kind of at once. It's, it's just kind of uh, strange and definitely looking forward towards, uh, Mary, Mary Poppins. Um, heard a lot of good things about it. You're definitely right about the young males coming to terms with like struggles. I think of something like mid nineties that came out earlier, but while I'm at it, and this isn't any kind of grandstanding or anything, but I think it's worth mentioning in case it comes up in conversation. Both of our top 10 lists feature a majority of female-driven films. I don't know what that oh, means. That. Yeah, but looking at it, that's worth noting. At least Andy's, I think, five of them off the top of my head. Um, if anybody out there says females are struggling in Hollywood, like I, I would argue the opposite. They're on the rise. So keep an eye out for more of those. Uh, I don't want to say it doesn't make a difference in film because I'm sure there's people who would argue it would, but to me, it doesn't. It's just as important as anybody else. Um, 2018 in film. What a year. And speaking of what a year, what a podcast. Man, it has been fun putting this <laughs> show together. Uh, not just this episode, but all of this year. It has been a ton of fun, and I've enjoyed every second of it, uh, even hanging out after work till like 8.30, putting the show together. Um, man, we have a lot of fun on this show. So thanks for thanks for watching movies, Andy, I guess, and thanks for the folks out there listening, if there's anybody. <laughs> for sure. Uh, that being said, if you liked our top tens, if you think we're nuts, if you thought Aquaman was great, if you thought it sucked, if you disagree with our Bandersnatch review, or maybe if you're totally into it, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're out there. Leave a rating and review on iTunes or Google Play. I don't think you can on Google Play, but do it on iTunes. It'll be great. <laughs> and from all of us at Offscript, the home of bold cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.